You could have really bad character and still be full of the Spirit. This actually means then you could know nothing about the Holy Spirit and still exercise the gifts. And this, this means that you can actually think they come from the wrong place. Do you believe me? Let's have a look. Let's read together verse 1 of chapter 12. Now about the spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. And we'll stop there. What does that mean? It means that the spiritual gifts are happening, but they are ignorant. That's the big implication. They're ignorant. So what the implication is, is that the young church in Corinth that Paul is speaking to are prophesying. They're healing in the name of God. They've got words of wisdom, of faith. But it means they don't know anything about it. So do you see, they don't have the Bible in this form that we have, so how could they? But do you see that their lack of knowledge is not a barrier to it? Secondly, they've got pretty bad theology. Now why do I say that? Well if you see, if you read with me verse 4, Paul has to correct them. He has to say to them, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. Now why does he have to say that? Well it's because they were pagans. And if you're a pagan, you pray to lots of different gods. You pray to one God for fertility, one God for health, one God for your family. And the implication is that they believe that all the different gifts come from different spirits. So there's a spirit of prophecy, there's a spirit of healing, there's a spirit of faith. No, Paul says. It's one spirit, it's the Holy Spirit. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty. So do you see, their theology is wrong. But guess what? That hasn't stopped them moving and working in the gift of the Holy Spirit. Finally, they're really, they're really bad people, some of these guys. If you take Corinthians as a book, uh, as a hard chapter, as, sorry, as a book as a whole, and I'd encourage you to do that. No, just read uh, chapter 12 in this series. What we see is that the Corinthians are having to be corrected on marriage. They're having to be corrected on communion. They're having to be corrected because they're sleeping about. They're suing each other. There's disunity. People are following. One says, I follow Cephas. One says, I follow Apollos. Some even say, I follow Christ, and Paul rejoices in that. But the point is, there's disunity. They're not full of godly character, and yet, that is not a barrier to them exercising the gifts of the Spirit. And this is the point. The gifts of God are not given on our character. They're given on His character. The gifts of the Spirit do not, are not predicated on how good we are, but on how good God is. Now, I want to say they're not given on that, but if we want to grow in them, we should seek holy lives. And that's why Paul wants to bring instruction. But that's my first thought. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are for everyone, because they're not based on our character, but on his. My second thought is this. The gifts of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit is for everybody, because of this. what it says in verse 3. Why don't we read together? Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So what this means is that if you are a Christian and if you follow God, you already have the Holy Spirit. And so what we can't do as Christians is say this Holy Spirit stuff isn't for me. We can't count ourselves out. Because what we see is that the Holy Spirit is at work. If we can only say Jesus is Lord by the Spirit, that means that we can only acknowledge that God is who he says he is if the Holy Spirit enables us to do that. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who reveals it to us. The Holy Spirit is the one who speaks it to us. He's the one who makes it true. 
What it means is that the Holy Spirit is absolutely central to the Christian life. Absolutely central. Unavoidable. I love the story. Uh, a chap called Father Raniero Cantalamessa spoke at the HGB Leadership Conference last year. And he's a Franciscan monk. And not only is he a monk, he's Catholic, and he's very, very well educated. And he used to lecture on uh, what's called Christology, which is the study of the doctrines of Christ. And what he found, he told his story, and he said that over the course of his life, there was an awakening of the Holy Spirit within him. Now, you, some of you might have heard the phrase, baptism of the Spirit. Let's not get into it too much, but for him, there was this point where the, spirit, the filling of the Spirit came, and he said it totally revolutionized and radicalized his relationship with God. He said, I used to know this historical figure that I would read about, this character. And then he said, he became a living person to me. This guy's a monk, Franciscan monk, filled with the Spirit. He said in that moment, he got the gift of tongues. He said he got this irrepressible joy. He said the Word, the word of God came alive to him. That's what the Spirit does. He said, I was reading a psalm the next day after this filling. And he said it was, if, it was written as it was if for me the day before. Nothing weird happened for him, he said. He said, I didn't cry, I didn't fall over, but God came. So do you see that there's this tension then? There's this tension between the fact that as Christians, we already have the Spirit. We can only say, Jesus is Lord by the Spirit. But again, we must be filled. Nicola has already mentioned that exhortation that comes out in the New Testament. It seems strange, doesn't it? We already have it, but we must be filled. Well, it's actually the same with our holiness, The New Testament through and through declares that we have been made saints, that we have been sanctified in Jesus Christ. And yet, Paul's charge to the church again and again and again is be sanctified, live holy lives. So there's this tension we have to live in as Christians between acknowledging what we have in Christ and then letting that stir us to be hungry and seek for more. So the Holy Spirit and his gifts are for everybody. First, Because it's not based on our character. Secondly, because we already have the Spirit and he's absolutely central to our lives as Christians. Right, let's continue. Why do I know the Holy Spirit and the gifts of everybody? Well, it's because of this. When a church is functioning in the gifts, it will be encouraged, it will be strengthened, it will be unified, it will be built up. And when the church is strengthened in unity... God can truly use it to proclaim the glory of God. So what I'm saying is that we, the gifts that we use, that we share with one another, are for encouraging, they're for strengthening, they're for comfort. And as we do that, as we build one another up, therefore we'll be encouraged to share our faith. This is God's plan for his church. He says, I want you to be unified. I want you to be confident. I want you to be full of faith. Because from that place, you will share my message to the world. Can you see that in verse 7 of our, of our chapter, it says, Now to each one, the, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now Paul's correction here was for the, point, uh, for the thing that can happen if someone is particularly gifted. And what you can end up doing is, if someone is an amazing prophet, um, you can end up thinking that it's about you. And he was keen, he said, uh, he says earlier in the book, he says, Some of you have become so arrogant. So there's that correction. But the the wider implication for us is this, is that the gifts are given for encouragement. So that means words of knowledge, meaning you can know something about someone. That means faith. That means miraculous powers. That means healing. All the stuff that he lists, that is for the common good. That's for you and me to be shared. 
Now, I want to speak about prophecy a second. If you're anything like me, the, the stuff of the supernatural really gets you out of bed in the morning. What does, this, what does this list say? You can see it's from verse 7 to verse 12. I keep repeating it. There's a message of wisdom. There's a message of knowledge. There's faith. There's healing. There's miraculous powers. There's prophecy. There's distinguishing between spirits. There's different kind of tongues. What do you notice about them? Well, I notice this. They're all remarkably supernatural. And generally, you couldn't do them unless God intervened. Now, as we talk about the gifts, I think it's important to mention two things. One is that God can anoint, I I believe, any God-given gift. So, for instance, take the example of worship leading. You might be a great pianist or guitar player or organ player even. You might have a great voice, but actually it's the whole, only when the Holy Spirit anoints what you do can God use you for worship leading. So that's one thing. But what Paul is talking about here, when he talks about spiritual gifts, he's saying these are undeniable manifestations of the Spirit of God. These are not something that you and I can do in our own strength. We might be able to fake them, but the true test of it, he says, is when they point us to Jesus. Because that is the un- that's this burning desire of the Holy Spirit to point us to Jesus. That's implied. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit, which means there is this burning desire of the Spirit to reveal Jesus. And that's what the gifts do. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He points us to Jesus. In chapter 14, Paul will say this. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Now, I, I particularly love the gift of prophecy. Prophecy is effectively, in its simplest way, is hearing what God is saying... And sharing it to others so that it might be blessed. God speaks in different ways. He speaks through pictures. He speaks in words. Sometimes it's the, the stillest, smallest voice. But it can bring such strengthening and such encouragement and comfort. I'll tell one story. I was at New Wine two years ago. And I was on the prayer team. And I was praying for this chap who I'd never met. And I wasn't even praying for him particularly long. It was just quite a quick thing. I effectively walked up in a time of ministry, laid my hand on him, and started praying. And as I did that, a story from the Bible came to mind. Now, it was quite an obscure story. So at first I was like, what? What is this about? And it was a story of David in the Old Testament. Now, David, when he's on the run from Saul, he goes and hides in these caves. And as he does that, these young men from around the area come and join him. And then David trains these young men, and they're men who are, they've been, they're thieves, they're people who've outcast, maybe they're, um, they're due to go to prison, or be stoned, and they've run away. But under David's care, they're built up, they're strengthened, and actually they're called David's mighty men, and he builds them into an army. And that came straight to mind, and I was like, goodness me, what does that mean? But God gave me the faith at that point, and I said to this man, just putting it out there, I didn't know if it was true, but I said, I believe God is going to use you to draw young men who are on the edge of society, and you're going to grow them into men. You're going to grow them from boys to men. You're going to draw them from the edge right into the center. And I just put that out there and uh, continued praying and left him. Now, he was very touched at that point. You know, he was crying. There was obviously God was working in him at that point. But um, I just thought I'd ask him at the end because it seemed so, that seems to come from nowhere. I said, hey, did that mean anything to you? And then he said, yes, I'm about to start a job uh, rehabilitating young offenders, young men. And he said it was so affirming. He said, I feel like God's just affirming what I'm about to go do. Guess what? He was so encouraged. Guess what? I was so encouraged. What was my first thought? As someone who's considering ordination, maybe going to be a vicar, maybe, by the grace of God. My first thought was, oh my goodness, God is real. 
my first thought was literally, oh my goodness, God, you're so real. You so speak. You see, the difference is the God that we believe in is not a mute idol. Paul was speaking to this church, he's saying, you were led astray, but now we believe in a God who speaks. And things, as a church, if we're going about and we're using those gifts, we will be strengthened. Because they cause wonder, they cause joy, they cause glory and worship to stir up within us. My desire after hearing that God had used me, and I must say this is nothing to do with me. As I've said, this is not based on who we are, not based on our character. I'm nothing special, but my God is. And he wants to bless people. And he wants to use all of us to do it. Now, this might stir up two things in you right now. When I hear stories like this, sometimes I get a bit jealous. Because I'm like, God, I want that kind of direction for my life. Don't let that stir up within you if that's true. Let it stir up a hunger within you for the voice of God. Because guess what? The Holy Spirit longs to speak to us. The primary way he does it is through the word, it's through the Bible. But God also longs to do it through each other. He longs to do it through each of us. And this is the thing, this is the greatest reason why I know that the gifts of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit is for all of us here. We've seen that it's because it's not based on our character. We've seen that it's not based on our... Um, sorry, we've seen that it's based on the fact that we already have the Spirit. We've seen that it's because when we're built up and strengthened, then we will bring the mission of God to the world. And fourth and finally, it's this. It's because it is based entirely on the grace of God. It is based entirely on the grace of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans will say. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. In the same way that Jesus Christ died for you and for me 2,000 years ago as he stretched out his arms upon a cross and gave up his life. In the same way that he did that as a free gift, so now the Lord longs to give us the gift of the Spirit. And this is for everybody here. You do not have to count yourself out. You don't have to say, this is just for the super-Christians. This is just for the people who are holy. Because God has already counted you in. He already calls you his child. And Jesus said, it's actually better for me to go. Because then I'll send one after me who's going to be called the Comforter. Jesus said, even you, knowing how evil you are, you know how to give gifts to your kids. Well, guess what? My dad in heaven is amazing. He's perfect. And he longs to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is for everybody. This is for everybody. Why don't we pray together? Lord Jesus, we worship you. Come Holy Spirit, I pray you just begin to stir worship in our hearts. Thankfulness, joy. Thank you that you gave your life for us, that, you might, that we might be free. And now thank you that you have poured out your spirit on us, confirming that we're sons and daughters. Lord, I pray you give us the gift of faith. I pray faith would stir in this room. Faith to take hold of this, to lay claim of it. Lord, will we walk in the things that you have for this, for us? Lord, would we have this desire to encourage one another? Lord, to strengthen one another. Draw us together in unity, we pray. Give us gifts, not for our own glory, Lord, but entirely for yours.
Lord Jesus, I pray you'd fill us with your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.